0: So we are beginning a new series this morning in the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Today we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. 2 Timothy verses 1 through 7. Technology has plus and negative sides. There's certainly some ways where it's bad that we have this much technology, but I'll tell you one of the things that I'm most thankful about technology is that I have a pretty good photographic record of my children's lives. I can very quickly recall a moment, and if I remember what month that happened in, I can pull out my phone and I can see pictures of it. I love being able to look back on that. When I bought a new phone this year, we had to change providers, and the thing that was most important in deciding what phone to buy was what phone has the best camera. Because I want to be able to look back and see the memories that I have made with my children. And I love being able to see those things. I love looking and and seeing, oh, I remember when we went to the pumpkin farm three years ago. And we can go back and we can even talk about what should we do and we forget where we went. Well, we can go and look at a picture and we see the name of the place in the picture and we can be reminded of of these different memories. It's funny when Anna and I try and remember the first two years of our marriage before kids, there's really no record of what happened those two years. We can't remember it that well. But once the kids come, we've got all these pictures we can look back on. And we do that because we love our kids. We love thinking about the process of growth that they've been through from being just a little baby to being in school. And some of you from being just a little baby to having their own little babies. And we love remembering the children that we love and this passage paul is going to remember timothy because he is a child worth remembering let's look at second timothy chapter 1 verses 1 through 7 paul an apostle of christ jesus by the will of god according to the promise of life that is in christ jesus to timothy my beloved child grace mercy and peace from god the father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So Paul, and this sermon, is remembering Timothy. He's thinking fondly on his memories of this young man. But we start with a little bit of greeting to kind of set the tone for the letter most of paul's letters include these greetings some of them are actually very similar to one another this one is incredibly similar to the greeting in first timothy but the greeting sets up the author and the audience so first we see we have paul how does paul describe himself paul an apostle of christ jesus so the first thing that paul uses to describe himself is his apostleship He is an apostle of Christ Jesus, meaning he is commissioned by Christ Jesus. But that of, we translate as of the genitive noun is what it's called. And it just kind of fits of. And in English and in Greek both, it can mean a lot of different things. And here in this place, it it means two different things. For one thing, he is an apostle of Christ Jesus, meaning he is apostle who belongs to Christ Jesus. He is an apostle who is owned by Jesus. So when Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus, he is basically submitting his entire life to Jesus. He belongs to Jesus. The Heidelberg Catechism says, I am not my own, but I belong both body and soul. So he belongs to Christ. He is an apostle of Christ, but it's also the content of his apostleship. He is an apostle who is proclaiming Christ. Paul's ministry is entirely wrapped up in being owned by Christ and in proclaiming Christ. So when he is writing to the churches, when he is writing to those who he is training, he is constantly writing about Christ. He is an apostle of Christ, but he is an apostle of Christ by the will of God. His authority is in God's will. His ministry is within God's will. How important must it be to Paul to recognize the will of God when he is sitting in prisons, when he is being shipwrecked, when he is being stoned, when he is being beaten, This is a comfort to Paul that he can say, I am an apostle by the will of God. That means the work he's doing as an apostle is within the will of God. So when he sits in a prison cell in Rome, as he likely is in this book, as he sits there in that prison cell, he can be suffering, be in pain, be lonely, and still write with joy because he's an apostle by the will of God. It is his authority, but it is also his hope as he does his work. This is God's work. He's called by God. What is he called to? Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. According to. We could also say for the purpose of, with a mind towards the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul is an apostle working with an understanding of working for the goal of advancing the world's knowledge of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And again, when we understand Paul's writing this from prison, we understand how important this would be. Paul, in this letter, this is the last letter he writes, he is facing imminent death. There's some questions about the exact timeline of Paul's life, what exactly happened, because it seems like he gets out of prison after Philippians, and there's some evidence that maybe he went to Spain, and then we have this imprisonment when he's back in Rome. All of that isn't 100% clear, but it's pretty likely and commonly agreed upon. Either way, he is in prison, and it is a painful time for him. Yet, His focus is on advancing the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. So now he writes this letter to Timothy, his beloved child. And the purpose of this letter is to give Timothy a durable faith, a faith that endures. And as we go through this letter, we're going to see Timothy presented with all sorts of obstacles, and Paul continually, one time after another, encourages him how he should live in spite of all those obstacles. How can he keep the faith when the faith is so hard to hold on to? The goal of this letter is instilling durable faith to Timothy. So, who is Timothy? Verse number two To Timothy, my beloved child grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is written to Timothy, this man who Paul considers as his own child. Well, what do we know about Timothy? We know quite a bit about him. We learn of him for the first time in the text that we read this morning in Acts, where Paul finds him. We know that he is a third-generation Christian. He lives in a town called Lystra. We know that both his mother and his grandmothers are Christians. His mother is a Jew. His father is a Greek. So we know a lot of things about his life. It's likely he was converted through Paul's ministry because Paul does call him my beloved child. And it probably happened again on the first missionary journey because that text in Acts 16, that's the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. And he shows up in Lystra and Timothy is described as being well-spoken of by the brothers. So when Paul comes on the second missionary journey, he is coming to a Timothy who's already a Christian and well-spoken of by the brothers. Yet he calls Timothy his child in the faith. So it seems fairly reasonable to put those pieces together and say that Timothy became a believer through the ministry of Paul on Paul's first missionary journey. Then that second missionary journey, he joins Paul and he goes with him after Paul gets the Macedonian vision, heads with him over into Greece. Throughout Paul's ministry, Timothy crops up. He shows up in 1 Corinthians. He shows up in other letters where Paul's going to say something about him briefly. He shows up in Ephesians. He shows up all over the place. What ends up happening with Timothy is he becomes Paul's most trusted friend. And the guy that Paul can rely on. If Paul needs to send a message, he sends it with Timothy. doesn't always go well. People don't always receive Timothy very well. Because we also know that Timothy is a pretty timid guy. Paul is constantly encouraging Timothy not to be afraid. Here in this text, he says, God has not given you the spirit of fear. He also says, let no man despise your youth. When writing to the church at Corinth, he says, be nice to Timothy. (laughs) He wants to encourage him because Timothy appears to be a young man. He appears to be a timid man. And Paul knows this about him and he loves him. Timothy is a gifted individual. We see in this text, in verse number six, it talks about the gift given to him by the laying on of hands. Same thing happens in 1 Timothy 1.18 and 1 Timothy 4.14. All throughout the letters to Timothy, it is clear he is gifted to be a preacher of the gospel. One of the challenges we're going to face in this letter is it's written to a pastor. It's written talking primarily about pastoral ministry. I'm going to try not to preach every sermon just to myself. It's written to him in fulfilling his calling as a pastor in the church as one who proclaims the word of God. There's much to learn about preaching and teaching in this book. He receives a great deal of warnings and encouragement from Paul. He's told to be brave. He's told to not have a spirit of fear, to not let people despise his youth. He's also told to flee youthful lusts. He's praised often for his loyalty to Paul. He is a loyal friend for him. So we get to our text today. Verses 3 through 7 tell us what makes Paul remember Timothy. Why is he so memorable? Verse number 3 I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. So the first thing that Paul remembers about Timothy is that Timothy has displayed the grace of God. Because notice, What is Paul doing in this verse? He's not praising Timothy here. He's thanking God. I thank my God. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. So when Paul thinks of Timothy, he thinks of Timothy in such a way that he doesn't think, Timothy, you're so great, I'm so glad you're so great. Instead, he sees Timothy, he remembers Timothy, and says, wow, God is great. I thank God for Timothy. So in Timothy, Paul has seen the grace of God displayed. It's Very interesting that in the New Testament, every time Paul thanks someone, he never says, thank you, Timothy. Thank you, Silas. Thank you, Corinthians. Thank you, Philippians. Every single time, it's, I thank God for you. A good reminder in the week of thanksgiving we thank God for the grace he displays to us. Every good thing comes from above. So when I am thankful for my wife, I thank God for my wife because she is a good gift of God, who loves us, who gives us grace. And so Paul, when he thinks of Timothy, he thinks of the grace of God. It's what makes Timothy memorable to him. And because he thinks of the grace of God in Timothy, he makes mention in his prayers constantly, but not just constantly, constantly day and night, right? Constantly day and night, they mean the same thing, but he's saying it twice because he really wants to get this point across. Paul loves Timothy and therefore he prays for Timothy. Paul loves Timothy, he remembers Timothy, and therefore constantly, day and night, he labors before God in prayer because he knows Timothy, he knows what makes Timothy special is the grace of God in him, and he knows that the only thing that will sustain Timothy going forward is the continued grace of God in him. The first thing that made Timothy memorable was the grace of God. The second thing is found in verse 4. As I remember your tears... I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. The second thing that Paul remembers is the affection of Timothy's heart. When he talks about, I remember your tears, it's likely he's referring to the last time they saw each other. And that's recorded in the book of Acts. Paul is heading back to Jerusalem. There's this kind of ominous tone to his journey back to Jerusalem. There's prophecies that he's going to be bound up and put in prison. And as he's saying goodbye to these people, he's done a couple laps through Asia Minor. He's done a couple laps through modern-day Turkey. And he comes to Ephesus, and they're used to him coming around every once in a while. But there's this real sense of foreboding as he goes back to Jerusalem that he's not coming back again. And when it records that meeting, all the elders at the church of Ephesus are saying goodbye to Paul and it records their weeping. There is this affection between Paul and the elders in Ephesus, one of whom was Timothy. And this affection between them is what comes to Paul's mind. I remember your tears. I remember when we left, how sad we were to leave one another. But at the same time, remember, Paul lives for the gospel, and so he willingly does what makes him sad. He willingly goes through this pain. And Timothy also apparently willingly goes through it. Paul says, it's better for you to stay here in Ephesus. Timothy says, okay, I will. Because Timothy labors for the gospel, not for his own pleasure, not for his own comfort that would come from accompanying Paul. And so Timothy is remembered by Paul. Affectionately. There's a deep personal affection between the two of them. Verse number five gives the third memorable thing about Timothy, and that is found here. I am reminded of your sincere faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So he remembers Timothy's sincerity of faith. Timothy's faith is sincere, he's loyal. We'll find out next week that the situation Paul finds him in right now is not really pleasant. He's in prison, and he's been abandoned by all of his friends. At two separate times in this letter, Paul talks about how there's no one around anymore. Everyone is gone, and he's alone. He's lonely, but when he thinks of Timothy, he thinks of the guy who's not going to leave him. When he thinks of Timothy, he thinks of the guy who, though absent maybe in body, would still be loyal to him. And so Paul remembers the sincerity of his faith. It endures. Timothy is different. His faith is sincere. His faith is unshakable. He has that as a heritage of his mother and his grandmother. They have a sincere faith, a faith that can be tested and be demonstrated as true. And Timothy has the same thing. And so Paul is encouraged by this. So let's kind of sum up this section. The bond between Timothy and Paul was incredibly close, not because of biology, but because of their shared faith. Paul treats Timothy as a son. He is closer to Timothy than even a son. There is this deep abiding love between the two of them. Why is it? Well, it's because of what they have in common in Christ. You know, maybe they had similar personality things. Maybe they got along well because they liked talking about the same things. It seems like Paul is a sports fan. Maybe Timothy was also a fan of the same sports. Maybe there were all these different things that they both liked. Yet, when Paul thinks back, what do I have in common with Timothy? What is it that this relationship is built on? It's God's grace being displayed in Timothy's life. It's the pain that they endured together. It's the sincerity of Timothy's faith, which of course is not going to be faith in Paul, right? It's going to be faith in God. It's God that unites Paul and Timothy together. This relationship is so close because it is a relationship in Christ. This is what church ought to be like. The church is a place for deep, intimate, close relationships. Not because we're a club where we all share an interest in the same activity. Church is not like a sailing club where everyone who's into sailing can come together and talk about sailing. We are all interested in very different activities. Some are not here because they're out hunting this week. I have absolutely no interest in standing out in the cold to shoot an animal. I can go to the store and get meat and it's not cold there. I don't get it. We can be different about these things, though. We don't have to have these things in common. We're not a hunting club. We're not a sailing club. We're not a car enthusiast club. We're not united by our common interests. We're not united by our common age. It's not like a school where you put all the kindergartners together, and they all hang out with the other kindergartners and their friends, and then you move to first grade. Church isn't like that. There is a wide variety of ages present in our church. And we are united together. We are bonded together as a church family, not because we're the same age. Because we're not. We're of different ages. It's not a political party where we gather with others who share our ideology. There is a range, believe it or not, there's a range of opinions on politics in our church. There's a range of opinions on what the best way to accomplish things are. I don't think any of us want poor people to die. Different people disagree about what the best way to make that not happen is. There's these differences that we have in our opinions in our church. It's not an ideological unity that we have. We're not united around some red, white, and blue elephant or donkey. We are united around something that transcends that. The church is a family where we share a father, we share our birth, and we will share eternity. That's what brings us together as a church. So, when Paul, thinking of his closest relationship in the world, he does not think of all the stuff that he and Timothy have in common, he doesn't even think about the work of preaching. No, I have great relationships with my friends who share similar thoughts about preaching because it's kind of what we live and breathe, and so we can talk a lot about that. Not even that. It's not the mechanics of ministry that unite Paul and Timothy. It's not the intricacies of theology and, and discussing those things. No, the thing that unites Paul and Timothy is that they have this common inheritance in the Lord. They are both testimonies of the grace of God. They have both suffered for the cause of the gospel. They both have a sincere faith that is trusting that God will ultimately be vindicated in this world. That theme of reigning with Christ of the last days is going to pop up throughout this book because that's how Paul can encourage Timothy to endure. Endure because it is worth it. The true intimacy of their relationship is found in Christ. But then how is Paul going to express that relationship? How is Paul going to move on from saying they have a relationship to doing something with that relationship? Put yourself in Paul's shoes. You love Timothy. You know you're going to die. You want to send him a last letter. What are you going to tell him? It kind of reminds me of being in college. You get a care package in your mailbox. One year I went to college a long way from home and you get these slips of paper in the mailbox and say, go to this place this time and there is a box for you. It's always exciting to get the box because there's always going to be good stuff in it. There's going to be candy and there's going to be cookies and maybe if you're lucky there's going to be money and there's going to be all this stuff that you want. So what do you send in a care package? You want to send things that will promote the health of your beloved child. You'll, you want to send something that maybe a little bit of a treat, but you also want them to not kill themselves when they're in college. And so you might send something to promote their health or their safety. If you're a parent, you love your child, you want them to be a little bit more responsible, so maybe you'll send them some laundry detergent so that they can wash their clothes because you're afraid of what's happening now that they're away from home. <laughs> And so you send something to help them out there. You sent them basically things to make them comfortable and profitable, right? You send them in this care package those things that are going to make their life a little bit better away from home, looking for their comfort, their safety, their success. When Paul sends his letter to Timothy, he's not going to try and make Timothy comfortable. He's not going to give him a few things to just make him feel better. Instead, this letter is absolutely loaded with encouragement to Timothy to suffer well. When Paul sends this letter to Timothy, it's not, here's how you can avoid suffering. No, Paul's in prison, okay? (laughs) Paul's in prison, and he's writing, and he's not saying, all right, I'm in prison, I made some mistakes, and I'm going to tell you how to get out of prison. He talks about his suffering in the letter openly. He's having a hard time. He's an old man who's been stoned to death once, all right? His body is broken, and he's in this prison. It's uncomfortable. It's cold. It's damp. And he's going to write to Timothy, and he's not going to say, Timothy, here's how to avoid prison. He's going to say, Timothy, it's coming, so here's how you should live while it's coming. Here's how you endure a life of suffering. Verse number six, for this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Think of what Paul is saying here. Hey, Timothy, I'm in prison. I'm in prison because I've been using the gift that God has given me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So, since I'm in prison for using the gift that God has given me, my encouragement to you is make sure you use your gift too. You need to go to prison too. You need to be willing to suffer too. Paul doesn't come at him saying, let me make your life easier. He says, let me make your life way harder. Fan into flames the gift that God has given you. Because of Paul's affection, not in spite of his affection, but because of his affection, he calls Timothy to boldly preach the same gospel which landed Paul in prison. Boldly do the thing that got me where I am. Seems completely, totally counterintuitive. But Paul's role here is to embolden rather than protect Timothy embolden instead of protect him. To fan into flame the gift that God has given you. So it's like you're lighting a fire and you get that fire all stacked up perfectly and you get the tinder in there and you light it on fire and then you got to find a way to get wind on it, right? You got to get air on it. You got to get it fueled up, fan it into flames. Paul is saying you've been given a gift, but it's kind of dwindling a little bit. Your gift, It might go away, might be extinguished. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. You look at me suffering, you see me suffering, and don't let that stop you from using your gift. Instead, fan it into flames. Get those bellows and start blowing on it. Get it going because it's worth it. Timothy's gift seems to be something related to his pastoral ministry. Based on the emphasis on the word, that comes through this book on preaching the word, I think it's safe to conclude it's something to do with his giftedness and proclaiming the word of God. And so Paul says, fan it into flames. 1 Timothy 4.14, he says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. I think it's interesting, he calls it a gift of God. But then he also, at two separate times, in 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 1, both times he's saying, you've got to take responsibility for this gift. You've got to use this gift. You've got to work hard on this gift. He's going to say, study to show yourself approved. Do the hard work in the Word so that you can use your gift well. It's almost like spring training and baseball. Everyone goes to the same place. You can't be a big enough star to skip spring training to skip working on the fundamentals. Make sure you've got everything nailed down. Make sure you know how to stand, how to move, get the rust knocked off together. You don't age out of spring training. You don't get experienced out of spring training. You keep coming back. You keep working on the fundamentals. It's like a pianist practicing their scales before practice every time. You keep working on the fundamentals. You keep doing the work. It's a gift that God has given you, but you have to keep working at it. And so Paul tells him, because you have this gift, do the work. Why does Timothy need this special encouragement? Well, we've learned all sorts of things about Timothy. He has physical ailments. 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. All right, frequent ailments. Some of you be like, oh, that sounds like me. Frequent ailments. He's got some health problems, yet he's a young man. Hey, okay? But no man despise your youth. So we've got this young guy. That's already a downside. Being a pastor is one of those jobs where being young is not necessarily an advantage. He's already young, and he's got the problems of being old, too. He's got the problems of being old and the problems of being young. At least when you're old, you're wise, and when you're young, you're healthy. But he's neither. He's struggling. And so Paul says, fan into flames the gift. He's afraid. 1 Corinthians sixteen ten. Paul says to the church at Corinth, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am doesn't need to say that about everyone else. Timothy, he has these struggles. Let no man despise your youth. And Paul's saying, fan it into flames. Not only that, Timothy has to deal with false teachers. That's going to be addressed in this letter. There's false teachers coming into the church that are distracting people, turning them away from the true gospel. Timothy's got to figure out how to deal with them. On top of that, Timothy's going to be persecuted. Paul's being persecuted. Timothy will be And so, all of this happening has the risk of extinguishing the flame of the gift that God has given him, extinguishing his endurance, extinguishing his faithfulness, extinguishing his message. And so, Paul says, Fan it into flames. Does this happen to us? Do we take what God has called us to do and it gets old? We get tired of it, it gets stale? We end up relying on ourselves maybe. We knew that we needed God at the beginning, but then we kind of got used to it and we get into a rut and we just rely on ourselves. Or maybe we don't have confidence in God. What God has called us to do, we're like, well, that's not going to work. And so we lack confidence. We need to fan our confidence in God into flame. Maybe we're just aware of our own weaknesses. We say, well, here's what God's calling me to do. Here's what I'm able to do there's a big gap between those two. Paul says, fan your gift into flame. Laziness, fear, stress, any number of things can cause us to struggle. Any number of things can cause us to feel the flame of the gift of God in us going out. And so Paul says, fan it into flames. And throughout this letter, he's going to give instruction as to how that looks. What does it look like to fan into flames the gift that God has given us? He's going to tell Timothy, he's going to talk about the Word of God, the power of the Word of God. Simply knowing that his ministry in the Word is the Word of God, inspired by God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's the second Timothy verse we'll get to. That power of the Word should fan into flames Timothy's gift. He calls him to work hard, calls him to do the work, to study hard, to learn. He calls him to be holy. Don't live like the world. He calls him to be bold. Fan into flames the gifts that God has given you. Why? Because God's not given you a spirit of fear. The fear you're feeling right now, Timothy, that's not from God. God's given you power. The fear that you're feeling is not God's gift. The fear that you're feeling should be resisted. Instead, God has given us power, love, self-control. And also throughout this book is Paul's encouragement that the day of appearing is coming. Jesus is coming back so you can be bold. So we start in 2 Timothy. We see how it's framed. We see this old man about to die, still just as passionate about the gospel, writing to a young man, serving the Lord but facing opposition. And Paul does not comfort him by helping him stay out of trouble. Paul comforts him by saying, get in trouble with boldness. Do it with confidence in God. So by way of application, may we have relationships like Paul and Timothy May we have those same sorts of relationships that are built not on what we share in common and interests, not on our age, not on other demographic factors, but may we have relationships that are close, loving relationships, that we care for one another based on our commonality in Christ and in Christ alone. That is the truest relationship that we can have. Because Christ is over everything. Christ is above everything. He is more significant than everything. Therefore, a relationship based on Him is going to be greater than a relationship based on anything else, even including biological relationship. Be a part of the church. Pursue relationships with God's people in this church. Do not neglect the gathering together of the saints. Spend time with one another. And by doing so, we can stir up the fire of ministry. We can blow it. We can fan it into flames so that our ministries are a consuming fire as we serve our Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would, in spite of opposition, in spite of difficulty, continuously fan into flames the gifts that you have given us. May the power of the gospel be our confidence as we proclaim your word to those around us. I think especially this week, as many will be spending time with unbelieving relatives, may they proclaim with faithfulness what your word has told us. May we call people to faith in you as the opportunity arises. And may we do it with a bold confidence that you have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.